Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking with Congresswoman Dina Titus about some of the most pressing issues that face Southern Nevada. You know, water, of course. Uh, also, a funky gaming law that she wants to change and how a controversial redistricting may have a silver lining. Oh, and we also get to kvetch about a perennial Vegas issue, free parking. It's Tuesday, May 9th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Congresswoman Dina Titus, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Well, this is very exciting. Thank you for having me. Well, we're we're pleased and honored to have you with us. And well, I really want to jump right in on a topic that's on a lot of people's minds, environmental justice. Uh, what does environmental justice mean to you as a congresswoman? Well, my district is the heart of the valley. So there are a number of what they call heat spots there, places that are hotter than other places because they maybe don't have parks or maybe they there's a lot of asphalt to paving. Maybe there's not mass transit available. So those things make the area hotter. And if they're hotter, they also uh, have more carbon monoxide and they can lead to more asthma or pulmonary problems, both for children and for seniors. So now as we look at improving our environment overall, we need to be sure that we take into account justice, which means that everybody benefits from it, and you don't create these hot spots or these areas that are uh, less good air, less good water, less mass transit, fewer parks, that sort of thing. Got it. And you mentioned the big ones, right? Water, air, land. And certainly Las Vegas in its unique position here in the Mojave Desert uh, has concerns about all three of those things around us. So uh, if, if you were to focus on just one topic that impacts us here in Las Vegas from a federal level, what do you think is the, the most important one to fight for in Congress right now for, for Las Vegas? Well, you know, it's hard to pick one because they're all intertwined. But water, I would say, is really a key thing. Just look at Lake Mead and the rings that we have dropped and dropped and dropped. This has been a good wet year. We're going to increase about 20 feet. But overall, one year doesn't make up for all the drought that we have seen. So any way that we can conserve water, recycle water, share water from the Colorado River will be important because that will be the thing that absolutely will stop growth. And you need some growth that needs to be managed and sustainable, but water will be the key. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Lake Mead because we've done a bunch of episodes on Lake Mead here because people are really concerned about all the conversations going on about Lake Mead, both water and power as Mm -hmm. it comes out. Now, the Biden administration recently announced that if the states and the tribes don't work out their adjustments on those Colorado River Accords, uh, which apportioned water so many decades ago, uh, that now fits the diminished supply of water that exists, that the feds are going to make some decisions for us. And the handwriting on the wall seems to be that, well, Nevada is going to get pounded. So how can we make sure that Nevada is going to come out fair or even ahead when it comes to Lake Mead water and power. 
Well, you know, the old saying is that whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting over. And that certainly <laughs> seems to apply to the Southwest. The law of the river was established many years ago and a time when nobody anticipated that you'd have over 2 million people living in this valley and needing that water. So we got a small share to start with. Now, what's happened over the years is realizing that we don't have much and we're growing a lot is that local governments have put in place some really good conservation measures. Nonetheless, it takes more than that. You know, some people talk about desalinization. That has some advantages, some problems. We need to look at how Israel has done some things. DRI is working with Israel on, say, drip irrigation. Look at Arizona. They grow cotton in the desert. Surely that's not appropriate, and that just sucks up a lot of water. Almonds in California make a little more sense, but they're water intensive. Even in Nevada, and up in middle, central and northern Nevada, we grow a lot of alfalfa. Now that's just shipped to China, and it uses a lot of water. So I suggested take out the alfalfa and put in hemp, and we know there'll be a market for that. Right. Well, and, you know, California seems to be the baddie here, very attached to their almonds and avocados. But like Biden said, if y'all don't work it out, I've given the secretary of the interior the, the power and it looks like Las Vegas water might be cut by a quarter. If that were to happen, what from your position can be done? Well, we've already done some things in the infrastructure bill and in the inflation reduction bill. One of the things is to make water delivery more efficient so you don't lose it in the transmission. There was also money put in the, I believe, the infrastructure bill that set up a program of recycling between Nevada and California. And so that's going to be taking place. So funding things that make water usage more efficient. But it's an all-government approach. The federal government can do some things. The state's got a water engineer. They do something else. Local governments have, like I said before, have been very active. They're talking about now reducing the size of swimming pools, uh, reducing water usage or charging more for excess usage. So every level of government has to be involved. And don't forget the tribes, too, have mm -hmm. an interest in this, as you mentioned. And so they have to be part of the negotiation. Now, you also mentioned when we talk about water and the need for water is the ever-developing uh, Southern Nevada area. And some have suggested that uh, we put some limits on that development so it doesn't tax uh, what water we may or may not be getting in the future. Uh, what do you think about, from a federal perspective, limiting some of that development in the Las Vegas area to save the water at Lake Mead? Well, that's not usually a federal issue. That's usually a state or local issue. But if you may recall, back in the late 90s, I had a bill when I was in the state Senate called Ring Around the Valley. Oh, I do. You were ahead of your time, Congresswoman. <laughs> and that was a bill to do a growth boundary so that that would force developers to do infill development and to grow up instead of out. Because the more you have to string infrastructure, the more water you're going to lose. And you, if you look around the Las Vegas Valley now, you do a lot more vertical housing than you did in the past. But even so, the developers in Clark County are wanting a lands bill so that 
more federal land will become available for development. Because of the lack of water, this is pretty controversial. Environmental yeah. groups are not real keen on developing more and more. In fact, I got some support from the environmental groups for my Aviquame monument uh, efforts because that sets that land aside for preservation and conservation, and you can't develop on that land. So it's tug of war. And the Aviquame uh, was lauded by most everyone, uh, except maybe our governor, but uh, (laughs) a lot of people were celebratory about that happening. There was also this Clark County lands bill that you just referenced. It was introduced in the Senate by uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, and then you had the companion one in the uh, Congress. It kind of went away. Can you explain what your companion bill was? Yes. The the original bill freed up more federal land for development. But the the uh, give and take was it also set aside more land for conservation. Now, I agreed to put the bill in as a marker on the House side. So originally, it was the same as the Senate bill. But I said when I put it in that this is up for negotiation. We now have a marker. Let's see if we can't figure out some kind of compromise. It died in the Senate. Manchin didn't like it. Catherine... Uh, I don't know. I don't know all the details there. But anyway, it died there. And so I, I didn't pursue it on our side because then I got involved with Aviquame and mm-hmm. thought that the lands bill should be left for Catherine to deal with. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right, let's change gears, Congresswoman. Uh, Gaming, obviously, is vital to Southern Nevada. Uh, A lot of people in the industry and people who gamble have been trying for decades to change the threshold for jackpot reporting to the IRS. And I know you've taken up the issue. Can you tell me what that's all about? Yes. You know, I represent the Strip and a lot of downtowns. So gaming is a very important issue for me. Uh, In the past, gaming has not wanted federal intervention for two reasons. One, they don't want the feds to regulate them. They'd rather leave it to the states and they don't want the federal government thinking "Hmm, that might be a good source of tax revenue. So they played defense and tried to keep a low profile. Now that gaming is everywhere around the country, they have a more active kind of lobbying effort and are looking at some positive things. So two of the things that I'm working on is one that that you mentioned, lifting the cap for when you have to report winnings. 
Now, it, when this was set back in the 1970s, it was set at $1,200. By inflation alone, that would be up to about $5,000. When you get a jackpot of $1,200 now, they have to shut down the machine. They have to send somebody over. You have to fill out all the IRS papers before you can move on. It's a big inconvenience for the person who won the money, inconvenience for the company, stops the the business there in that area where that slot machine is. So it just doesn't make any sense. Move it to $5,000, which is still in keeping with the original intent of $1,200. And I think that would be better for the consumer as well as for the gaming venue. The second thing that we're looking at is what's called a handles tax. And that's when you bet on a sporting event. Now, you know, Nevada used to be the only place with sports betting, really, so we paid the bulk of it. The intention was to use that money to go after illegal sports betting. But now I ask the IRS, where's that money? How much did you get? How much did you use? They couldn't even answer the question because now it just goes into the pot. So I thought, why are we paying a handles tax on, a, on sports betting when it's not going to its original purpose of keeping illegal betting. If you wanted to have a handles tax, it should be a state tax to go back into the state and do sure. good. Mm -hmm. And for those people who don't gamble mm -hmm. um, and they're your constituents, uh, I'm interested in it, but why do you think that uh, the non-gambler should be interested in this legislation moving forward? Gaming is kind of like our steel mill or our tobacco field or our car factory. It is a big uh, industry that, that, you know, fuels government and the, all the services and resources that government provides. Schools, for example, are funded through uh, gaming. Some of the infrastructure is funded through gaming tax. So it benefits uh, everybody, even if you're not there putting your nickels in. Right. And I'd imagine that if the casino isn't tied up and doing all that paperwork, they could probably provide more services, one would hope, to uh, the rest of the patrons that are at the casino. Exactly. And if they don't have to pay the handles tax, maybe they wouldn't have to charge us to park. See? Oh, it all <laughs> comes back. Because really, parking um, is the impetus for all federal legislation because uh, we just hate paying for parking down here. Is there something you could do about that in Congress? Well, I've complained about it. Uh, and I think a couple of the casinos are rolling back those parking fees for locals. And that's my major concern. You know, if you're a tourist, you expect to pay it in New York or uh, San Francisco, Washington, D.C. Sure. But if you live there and you want to go out on the strip for a nice dinner or something, I don't think you should have to pay parking. So you famously, Congresswoman, were upset with the Nevada State Legislature when they redistricted voting maps in the state using uh, a very colorful term in what you felt they <laughs> did to you. Um, uh, obviously, you're on your sixth term as a congresswoman. You won your last election anyhow. So I have to ask, is all forgiven with the Nevada State Legislature, or do you think redistricting still needs to be reevaluated? Well, I'm stuck with it for the next 10 years, and we'll see how it all uh, rolls out. But this, it was not only uh, was my district made much less Democratic, because they took half of my Democrats and split them between Stephen and Susie. Now, in a good year, that means all three districts are pretty close and will win. But in a bad year, all three districts are pretty close and you will lose. And that was my concern. And also about the future of the district, 
it was very homogeneous uh, as a, the block right in the middle of the valley. Now it strings all the way out to Anthrum and all the way out to Boulder City. So I, you're suddenly now don't have a cohesive group that you can fight hard for. You're more spread thin for a lot of different interests. And, and that's especially true for minority groups because we had the Hispanic population on the East, the Asian population on the West. And so now there's, it's just all kind of one big, uh, big mix. So that, that was it politically. Uh, I was, I still won by six points. And so that's a good margin. And I did represent um, all of old Henderson when I was in the state legislature for 20 years. So I said to him when I went out there campaigning, you haven't seen me in your mailboxes in a long time, but I've been working for all of Southern Nevada. So it's not like this is new. It's like I'm coming home. Yeah. Well, I mean, can you find any good or silver lining other than winning uh, <laughs> that came out of the redistricting? Maybe the diversification uh, has an upside or anything else in your mind? Well, I'm sure that's true. I, a lot of people said they were really glad to have me back as their representative because they know I'm a fighter. And so I will be fighting very hard for these new areas. One example is in Boulder City. We've been helping a lot with the uh, the docks out at the lake because as the water goes down, some of those landings have been closing up and that's a big business for Boulder City. For and real, so yeah. I've made that a real cause and gotten engaged in it. So I think some of them look at it from that standpoint and I certainly want to be as hard a fighter for the new areas as I was for the old one. Got it. Okay. But the follow-up then is, is the beef quashed with you and uh, the leadership in uh, <laughs> of the state Dems? Sure. I'm Is a, it? <laughs> you didn't sound convincing there. <laughs> well, there's not anything I can do about it, so I might as well move on. Go, going out for boba tea or something with uh, Canizaro or Jaeger, <laughs> any of them? Well, they're pretty busy right now in Carson City, but I'm going up there on Tuesday to uh, give my address to the body, they call it. All the members of the delegation do that. So I'll go up there and see if I'm received very friendly or not, but I think it's fine. Okay, hopefully you'll get at least a quiet apology in the back. Uh, all right, last question. You know, as our representative, you've been involved in a lot of legislation on the federal level, but I'm going to give you a golden ticket for the purpose of this question. Okay. And that means that any new bill of your creation for the specific benefit of Las Vegas would absolutely pass, no doubt about it. What would that bill be? Oh, talk about in the next session. Oh, that's a tough one. I work very hard on environmental issues. Anything for Las Vegas. Let's see. What do we need? Well, water is so important. Jobs are important. Uh, Maybe we up our, our percentage of the, the water. Maybe mm -hmm. that no one could ever bring back yucca, no matter oh, what. Oh, there you go. That that's might be a good perfect. one. Okay. Okay. At, at, the, at the top of my agenda, every single session, I work on fighting Yucca Mountain. And we've been successful so far. We've kept money for Yucca out of the budget, and we've moved a, a good ways on the consent-based decision-making. I don't think you should put hazardous waste, especially that high-level waste, in an area that you don't have their consent. Europe does it. Uh, the Blue Ribbon Commission recommended it. The only way it's going to be successful is if you have buy-in from all the people involved. You know, people in Nevada don't want it. We don't make it. We don't use it. We shouldn't have to store it. So if I could just lock down and do away with Yucca Mountain, I would consider my career a success. So far, so good. 
Okay, so your golden ticket would be for one stake into the uh, still beating heart of the vampire that is Yucca Mountain. Absolutely. That, and the impact of that would be for generations to come. Congresswoman Dina Titus, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today and sharing your thoughts, especially about Lake Mead uh, here on CityCast Las Vegas. We hope you'll come back sometime soon, especially if you have some new uh, legislation you want to talk about. Well, I would love that. Uh, I enjoyed talking to you, and I'm so proud of my district. I think it's the most exciting district in the country. When I say I represent Las Vegas or Southern Nevada, everybody knows where that is, and everybody wants to come out. Before you go, a little more news. The recent closing of the Huntridge Family Clinic, said to be temporary until financing can be lined up, jarred some in the LGBTQ community. A welcoming space, it was the Valley's largest provider of PrEP treatments, which reduces the risk of HIV. The facility's owner is urging people to support legislation in Carson City that might alleviate future financing woes. And meanwhile... When Garth Brooks starts his residency at Caesars Palace next week, fans won't be able to use their phones while in the audience. He's joining those who make you put your devices into secure cases before the show, and then you get them unlocked afterwards. Lastly, details are still coming in about the shooting at Von Tobel Middle School yesterday. One adult, a CCSD employee, was taken to the hospital and is reportedly in stable condition. Students were released from lockdown after about an hour. Scary for everybody. We'll keep following the story, as I'm sure many of you are. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our indispensable morning newsletter. There might be some extra tidbits in there from any given show, so you don't want to miss out. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Take care.